for our online viewing audience as well. Let me get my stuff together here. The title of my message is, um, could you turn those lights down just a little bit? <laughs> the title of my message is, uh, Be Not Overcome. And my focus tonight is on adversity. Is there anyone here that's never experienced adversity? I don't think so. Adversity comes in many forms, does it not? So I looked up the definitions of some of the forms of adversity. And, and the one that really got me was um, to maltreat someone. You know what that means? It means to treat cruelly and or with violence. Is that my phone? <laughs> I forgot to turn it off. Thanks, Mark. Anyways, <laughs> it means adversity, the definition to maltreat someone, to treat them cruelly and or with violence, to torment someone. I'm so sorry. Get this, do the side button there. <laughs> Maybe I should start over. <laughs> Be not overcome. What does God expect from us when we are faced with adversity? He has a plan. You know that, don't you? He really does. And he lays it out for us pretty good. And I'm going to just touch base with that. So again, adversity, my focus is on adversity. And one of the definitions is to maltreat someone, treat cruelly and or with violence. It also means to torment someone, create severe mental and physical suffering, misfortune or bad luck, difficulties, evil, distress, great grief. All that is adversity and all of us have experienced that in one form or another. <clears throat> But we have a choice to make every time. We can view adversity as productive, or we can view it as destructive. It's our choice. I came across this scripture, you probably know it. Proverbs 24:10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. That's the New King James. And um, it can be adversity we are facing or adversity that someone else is facing and we're to step in and do something to help them. One of the things I pray all the time is, and you've heard me pray it before, is um, help me to recognize your opportunities and not see them as obstacles to my personal desires. That's a biggie right there. Every morning we make that choice what we're going to do. The Passion Translation says that same verse. I chose the New King James because it actually uses the word adversity. The Passion Translation says, if you faint when you're under pressure, you have need of courage. <clears throat> or your strength is limited. Our weakness often becomes an excuse to quit, but strength and courage come as a result of faithfulness under pressure. Some interpret this to mean if you fail to help others in their time of need, 
you will grow too weak to help yourself. When my last year uh, being a pastor at my first church, I didn't want to be there. It's plain and simple. I would, I would uh, drive to church every Sunday, and I would tell the Lord, I do not want to be the pastor of this church. I don't know if you've ever been there, Pastor Matt, but I hope. <laughs> or Pastor Penn. <laughs> Anyways, I do not want to be the pastor of this church, but I always added a qualifier. But I will stay here as long as you want me to. Just show me what I'm supposed to learn from all this. It was truly a boot camp experience. I thought being an elementary principal for 25 years prepared me for everything. Wrong. <laughs> so anyways, your strength is limited. Our weaknesses often become an excuse. But strength and courage come as a result of faithfulness under pressure. Some interpret this to mean if you fail to help others in their time of need, you will grow too weak to help yourself. You can make that determination. I want you to see some pictures now. Um, I, wanted, I want us to see certain people, how they've handled adversity. Y'all know what that is, yellow ribbon. It's not the one Tony Orlando and Dawn, those of you who are my age. But it's outside the courthouse on a tree in Claremont County, Batavia, Ohio, which is the eastern suburb of Cincinnati where Lynn and I resided for many, many years. And that yellow ribbon there is because of, show the next slide there, Dave, of this couple right here. I don't know if you remember, it's been almost 20 years. Matt Maupin, he was captured, he was in... Um, what was it, the Afghan? Was it Afghan in 2004? I'm trying to remember. Um, or no, it was uh, Iraq, en Enduring Freedom, wasn't it? He was a sergeant, and he was captured, and, uh, and the horror of all that was, eventually he was killed, murdered, and it took four years to find his body and remains. That's when we didn't let any, leave anybody behind. And why this is so important to me is I was his school principal when he was in elementary school. And that's his mom, Carolyn. She's, she was such a wonderful, wonderful person and parent. And his, his uh, father, Keith, and that's his younger brother, Micah. And what did they do during those four years? Can you imagine the agony if your son is missing? See, they didn't know he was dead at the time. But you know what? They overcame that adversity. What did they do? They created the Yellow Ribbon Support Center. That's why you saw the Yellow Ribbon. That became their passion. They sent care packages all over the world to our troops. They made, they made something out of the adversity that was productive. They changed the lives of many troops and soldiers. And finally, they found the remains. He had, was captured on April 9th, 2004. Four years later, 2008, they brought his remains home to Batavia. And I remember Lynn and I going to the memorial service. And she was such a trooper. 
I was doing National Day of Prayer every year, she started coming to that. I actually let her speak to that. We would have 200, 250 people there. And it was always outside. And she was, she's a precious lady. I haven't seen her or talked to her in a long time. But he was such a cute little kid in elementary school. I can see him still, you know. And all he wanted to do was serve his country. That's all, all any of us want to do or should want to do. So anyways, I'm going to show you another, some more heroes. There you go. You recognize that? Who are the heroes? Well, they're in the middle picture there. The greatest adversity that has ever hit the United States of American homeland. And there we are, the heroes overcoming adversity. Amazing. The American spirit is unbelievable. It's so beautiful. That's because America was created by the Lord. And we can't let them, we can't let what's going on in our country rob us from that at all. We have to stand up. Not in arrogance, not with our fists in the air, but with compassion. My wife used to say, you love one, you love one person at a time into the kingdom of God. And it's an agape kind of love. So the 911 heroes, and I'll show the next one, Dave. You remember that? August 19th, 1999. It was a pioneer surgery at the time. That's the uterus, and that's a 21-week-old baby. His name is Baby Samuel. Baby Samuel, you can see the mother's womb there and everything, and that's the uterus. He was diagnosed with spinal bifida. And I'm, I'm no stranger to that, because as a principal, along with 550, 600 kids, I had three units of disabled children, which included spinal bifida children, and also muscular dystrophy, cerebral palsy, all kinds of things. I just grew to love those kids. One, I still communicate with them all these years later. It, it, it is so precious. And so anyways, that... The reason they photographed that is because this was a first-time surgery. And so they did that. Well, immediately it became the fact that the baby, the 21-week little old fetus, <laughs> show, shows you how formed they are already, you know, uh, grabbed the finger of the surgeon. And that I remember showing this years ago to my congregation. This was 1999, but... Um, the thing is, there's, there's still a controversy. There's always got to be a controversy. The, the, the photographer who took that said, he was so sure, he said, the hand, the arm came out and grabbed the finger. He was so sure of that. He took the picture. The surgeon, on the other hand, says, they were both, the mother and the baby, were under anesthesia so that they didn't know what was going on and so when they opened the uterus, the arm came out, and he was pushing the arm back in. I'm going to choose the first version myself. But the thing is with this, um, baby Samuel's alive today. He's 23 years old. He's, got, he's normal in every respect. 
except he is in a wheelchair. But the reason they did surgery, they had to close the spine on this tiny little baby to protect the spinal cord. And it saved him from many, many uh, operations that he would have had to go through. And if you want to look him up, just Google, you know, Google Baby Samuel. You see a picture of him in his wheelchair. He's the nicest looking kid and young man, I guess we should say now. But the, what was the, the overcoming there? What, what, how did they, first of all, the adversity was the need for surgery. And look how they overcame that adversity to the point now that they do this frequently. And you know the sutures, they were as thin as fine hair that they used to suture up the big little baby. The baby had the surgery. I mean, adversity. I'm so glad I live in America. How about you? I'm so glad we have the best medical community in the world today. We can't let anybody take this stuff. Well, the Bible says that um, God expects us to behave in a very precise way when adversity strikes us as individuals or as families, friends, or as a nation. It should be obvious to all of us that uh, all the bizarre events taking place, and we've said this many times, it's so hard to watch the news anymore. People getting beat up, shot, and everything. Um, random killings and beatings and so forth are more than likely to continue as the end of this age winds down to the coming of our glorious king. So what is our role here? That's what you call adversity. Our nation is in a state of adversity. The Bible also tells us that true peace will only be realized when the revelation of Jesus Christ occurs. What do I mean by the revelation? His second coming. The revelation of Jesus Christ. When he comes back, sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem to rule and reign for a thousand years. Guess what? If we're going to be a part of that. We don't think enough about that stuff. That's our inheritance. My goodness, we're so muddled in our lives and what's going on around us, we forget to celebrate what we have to look forward to. Wow. Anyways, we must prepare ourselves. Now, here's this is a hard statement. We must prepare ourselves for tragedy to strike us at any time. We must be prepared to live our Christianity before the world at a moment's notice. Even in the face of persecution, death, and sickness. Easier said than done, isn't it, at times? So the Bible is a help manner in this regard, manual in this regard. Everything in the word for life and blessing and how to live it more abundantly. We all, we just gloss over this verse. We've heard it so many times. But the Lord tells us, Jesus tells us, just exactly what we're up against. The thief does not come to come, does not come except to steal, except to kill, except to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's the new King James. So what is, it, what is he saying there? Jesus is telling us there's a killer loose in the world. His name is Satan. 
Jesus, hold on to this point. Jesus would not have said these words if death and destruction did not surround all of us. How many times does he tell us not to be afraid? Fear not. One of the great scriptures, you all know it. Fear thou not, right? Neither be thou dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you. Yeah, I will help you. Yeah, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Wow. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Wow, praise God for that. I jumped ahead of myself. The killer is loose in the world, and Jesus would not have said this if we weren't surrounded by this. He wants us to know that in the midst of devastation, we can still have life, his life. That's overcoming adversity, isn't it? You see, he has conquered death by his resurrection. I love these verses. I am the resurrection and the life. Right? He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now, we can take that to the bank, can't we? Praise God for those, those words. You know, you think about it. Um, Jesus, the things that he said about himself, you know, he was either a fruitcake or he's the son of God. There's no in between. When you go back to the seven things in the book of John, the bread of life, I'm the gate, you know, I am the good shepherd and all these things. Jesus is the son of God. So our path, though, is different from the rest of the world. Everybody sitting here, I know you're all saved and filled with the Spirit. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> and in the rain to boot, how about that? Wow. I finally got my hair looking good, and then it's raining. I have a little bit of hair left here. But anyways, so... Our path can only be walked with the aid and comfort of the Holy Spirit. We all know that. Our path, though difficult and seemingly impossible, will bring life to us and to those around us. You just can't forget the people that you are influencing. You may think you may be down in the dumps, but I'm telling you, people want, we want people to want what we have. And that's the master that we sit at the feet of the master. Wow. I've said that a lot of times. Many times it is a path of short-term pain, long-term gain. It requires much courage and fortitude. It requires sacrifice, which at times seems is beyond our human ability. That's overcoming adversity. That's why we must be filled with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, every day of our lives. We truly must be ready in season and out of season. Well, guess what? Matthew lists our job description in no uncertain terms from Jesus himself. Matthew 5, 38 through 48. But I'm just going to highlight certain verses. Here's the first one. We know these verses, too, and we just kind of roll through them. But I don't think you should do that. Listen to verse 39. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. You think about that. People are getting clobbered out there. You have to watch where you go in the parking lot anymore. I mean, our own Walmart. 
But God says, we'll get into that a little bit, not much, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. Then verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Not all the translations use spitefully. King James does New King James, but the rest of them don't. That's a big mistake in my humble opinion. Because that word spitefully means this, to annoy, to upset, or hurt another person because you feel angry toward them. So, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you in verse 45 that you may be sons or children of the of of your father in heaven wow and then the last one on the, of that group verse 48 therefore ye shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect well guess what guys if we don't adhere to these things if i understand what the word's saying perfect in this sense means complete We've got our work cut out for us, don't we? Very much easier said than done. So, we wise old senior saint, these senior ladies always seem to have gotten a hold of me years ago, and they're always speaking into me. One ended up um, on my board, and I loved her to death, and we always tried to catch her. She knew the word so well, and we'd give her a pass. He said, okay, explain this, Shirley. And uh, we have not learned, she said to me one time, I don't know what the background was, I was, who knows what I was doing. She says, we have not learned to love until we learn to love the unlovable. Think about that. We have not learned to love until we learn to love the unlovable. You see, God also shows us through the Apostle Paul how to respond to adversity. Paul in Romans 12, 19 is speaking to private and individual Christians. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. How many times have you felt like taking a two-by-four and hitting somebody up by the head that really wronged you or your family? Do we believe in his word? Do we follow his word? But rather give place unto wrath. Well, this next paragraph here. Avenge means to take satisfaction for an injury by inflicting punishment on the offender. That's what it means to, in other words, you like, you want to do this and you're enjoying it, that you're making this person suffer for what they did. Is that what God wants from us? Of course not. So what is the command here? That the real command here in this verse is to avoid a spirit and purpose of revenge. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. How many of you have experienced God to vindicate you somewhere, somehow? Isn't it much better when he does it? I had another wise senior lady say to me, John, <laughs> she says, um, in that verse in Romans where God says, vengeance is mine, she says, John, if uh, somebody has wronged you 
and you ask God to vindicate you, and um, you get your hands into it, and you try to do things in your flesh, when God swings that sword of judgment on that individual, you're going to get cut right along with them. Is that a great word? I never forgot that. That was given to me probably 40 years ago. And the bottom line here is, let God be God. We either believe his word or we don't. Is that easy? Of course not. It's very difficult. It's in our nature. But here, listen to this now. We are to commit all to him, leave it to God, to come and execute wrath or vengeance on the enemy. Leave yourself and your enemy in his hands, assured that he will vindicate you and punish you. And punish him. We are not to interfere with that which properly belongs to God. Vengeance is what? Mine. He will vindicate you. He will exonerate you. I don't know what's going on right now. Maybe you're having a hard time in the workplace and you just feel like you're out there by yourself. You ask God to interfere and, in, and step in. He'll make it right. He'll make it right. He does every time I could share some of those other things. Does this mean that a Christian, we have to surrender our rights as a person? Absolutely not. We may seek justice in a regular and proper way before civil authorities when and where appropriate. Jesus did not surrender his rights. Did you know that? John 18, 23. I can't remember if I put that one up there. Yeah. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? He just didn't take and let him work him over mentally or emotionally or anything. He stood his ground. But you can bet he stood it in love because he knew their hearts. Paul demanded that he should be treated as a Roman citizen, Acts 16, 37. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial, put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens, so now they want us to leave secretly? <laughs> Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. Is Paul laying down, letting people walk over him? No, he's not. Uh, sometimes Christians, I think it, that it's God's will that we let people walk all over us. Well, it depends on the situation, I guess. Um, sometimes you got to bite your tongue and just don't say anything. Other times you must stand up and say something. But may it always bring glory to the Lord, what you say. Right? We all know that. So Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil, excuse me, with good. That's, that, that's kind of difficult, isn't it? I want to close with a simple little story. My Jesus Freaks DC Talk book, The Voice of the Martyrs. It's a fabulous book. DC Talk, I don't know if you remember that. They, man, oh man, they are so wise. Listen to what they say about a, what a Jesus freak is. Are you a Jesus freak? First of all, when you think of a freak, a freak, do you think of the horror movies on Halloween that are absolutely, uh, you get so sick of it. Here, listen to this. Jesus freak. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out, find that it's true? <laughs> oh, boy. I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak because there ain't no disguising the truth. 
What will people think? What will people do? I don't really care. What else can I say? There ain't no disguising the truth. You know, whenever I read something like that, I evaluate myself. And, um, oh boy. Anyways, let me read this little story about adversity, overcoming adversity. Her last prayer, true story. It's uh, 16 or 17 years old. It's an Asian, Asian uh, child. Takes place in the 70s. The Communist Party is in rule. The Communist soldiers had discovered their illegal Bible study. You know, they're doing that today. They're doing that today. As the pastor was reading from the Bible, men with guns suddenly broke into the home, terrorizing the believers who had gathered there to worship. The communists shouted insults and threatened to kill the Christians. The leading officer pointed his gun at the pastor's head. Hand me your Bible, he demanded. Hand it to me! Reluctantly, the pastor handed over his Bible his prized possession. With a sneer on his face, the guard threw the word of God on the floor at his feet. He glared at the small congregation. We will let you go, he growled. But first you must spit on the book of lies. Anyone who refuses will be shot. The believers had no choice but to obey the officer's order. Soldier pointed his gun at one of them. You first. The man slowly got up and knelt down by the Bible. Reluctantly, he spit on it, praying, Father, Father, please forgive me. He stood up and walked to the door. The soldier stood back and allowed him to leave. Okay, the soldier said, nudging a woman forward. In tears, she could barely do what the soldier demanded. She spat only a little, but it was, it was enough. She too was allowed to leave. Quietly, a young girl came forward. 16, 17, don't ever deny our youth. I got some grandchildren there on fire for God, believe me. She too was allowed to leave. Quietly, a young girl came forward. Overcome with love for her Lord, she knelt down and picked up the Bible. She wiped the spit with her dress. What have they done to your word? Please forgive them, she prayed. The communist soldier put his pistol to her head. Then he pulled the trigger true story. Most of those facing persecution today could have escaped if they had denied their faith. Persecution is really increasing in America, is it not? I keep wondering when they're going to try to shut us down, but that's never going to happen. The question is not whether we are persecuted, here's the, here's the kicker, but whether we are willing to lay down our life for our faith in Jesus Christ. Persecution's going to come. And shame on me, I forgot to open this with prayer.
stand with me, please? Father God, I'm so grateful to be an American citizen in the United States of America. I'm so thankful to just be able to share this little message that I've spent such a long time on, making sure that I, I'm saying what you want to be said. And Lord, I pray. I pray that you have been glorified tonight in each heart. I pray for our online viewers. If anyone there has never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray this simple prayer. Just pray it with me. Dear Jesus, I need you. Dear Jesus, I want you. Dear Jesus, of my own free will, I choose you to be my Lord and my Savior. Dear Jesus, in the weeks ahead, show me the areas of my life that need to change, that I need to repent of. Give me the power, Holy Spirit, to do that. Dear Jesus, we love you. I pray tonight, Father God, that, that uh, you have felt so loved and so cared for by each of us, by those viewing, and by your children around the world. And Lord, I declare all this through your blood, Jesus, and in your name. And everybody said, Amen.